Igniting, inspiring, and evoking the fire within. It's never as bad as you think it is. We always focus on how bad it is, and then I don't know where I've heard the the, the quote, but they say most of the things that you think are detrimental or the world's going to end, they never come to fruition. You know, we worry about a lot of things that never really happen. So try not to focus on what might happen and push to, to focus on what will happen. You're listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Buyer. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. Today, a very special guest on. He's a writer. He's a blogger, he's an author, a reporter, and a Brooklynite. He is Jerry Del Priore. Jerry, how are you today? Very well. Jerry, is Brooklynite acceptable? Can I say Brooklynite? Yes, yes, you, yes you may. Is that what Brooklynites say when they're out of Brooklyn? When yes. They're asked? Okay, so I, 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 I scored on this one. You know, Jerry and I met yesterday. He um, interviewed me for his blog, and I thought you'd be you'd be a good guest because you um, bring some different things to the table than a lot of my previous guests. Now, nowadays you're spending time between Brooklyn and and Chatham here, Chatham, New Jersey. What are some of the best parts of of Brooklyn and Chatham? Let's do a tale of the tape. Um, Brooklyn has great nostalgia to it. Coney Island doesn't get any better than that in the summertime. Um, the food, can't beat a Nathan's hot dog, uh, great pizza, and just the Brooklyn attitude, something you know you can't beat. However, New Jersey people have that same attitude, depending where you are in New Jersey. But I love, I love Chatham, I love them both. They, it's great to bounce them off each other because it's a different dynamic. Go from the hustle and bustle of New York City to the peaceful and serenity of Chatham, yet it still has its nice, you know, spots to go out and eat and enjoy. So if you were to retire tomorrow, where would you go? Uh, <laughs> retirement is far from the, not in, really in the equation right now, but if I can go, I, I'd probably, in New Jer- somewhere in New Jersey, I like Chatham, so... I can see myself being here. It's a nice little spot. It's a yes. nice little spot, nice little nook here in New Jersey as we sit in my uh, living room. Now, both of you and I are, are, are baseball junkies, and we've had a lot of experiences in the game. Could you go back and recount one of your earliest baseball memories? Um, the first time I had to chase Stadium. You know, when you're a kid, the world is a lot bigger to you. Just... Going and seeing the field and the stadium itself, it was larger than life. It's something that brings me back. You know, I, I can't, it's hard to describe, but it, I was just in, I was awestruck on just seeing the perfectly manicured lawn, all the seats, the noise. And back then they weren't so great, but that didn't really matter to me. I just love being at the game. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't know it then. We've never discussed this directly, but you grew up a Mets fan. Yes, I did for, for sure. Uh, you idolized who? Um, John Stearns, catcher for the Mets. As you know, I idolized as a kid. Uh, Lee Mazzilli, fellow Brooklynite, Lincoln High School alum, guys like that. You know, Mets didn't have many 
superstars, if any at all. But those are guys I looked up to. John Stearns was a great... Uh, great catcher. Yeah, yeah and yeah. a great safety in college. Yes, but, for the University of uh, Colorado... I'm trying to think, because I have a relationship with John Stern. So my time with, with Harrisburg back in 07, 08, and 09, he was managing there. Um, and so we've, and we've kept in touch over the years. He is a, uh, he's a, he's a character and a great baseball man for sure. For yeah. sure. Um, one of the most booming voices. He would, he would love to teach bunting. Because one of the things he would do when out in the field as a manager teaching bunting, he would, he would, Deliberately stand on third base and yell at the batter at home plate. Talk about bunting. I remember distinctly in Harrisburg one one afternoon before a game. Justin Maxwell was was uh, working on his base hit bunting. He's got some time in the big leagues with various teams, and he um, Sternsey would would stand on third base when he could very well be standing at home plate and talking face to face with with Maxwell, and he would just project his voice. Because he'd he'd love to, he could very easily do it, very easily do it. And um, yeah, an all-star, I think two or three times uh, with with the match uh, draft pick of the Phillies, I believe. So that's awesome. And we didn't talk about that yesterday. You mentioned Lincoln High School. Did you go to Lincoln High School? No, I didn't. Okay. But Lincoln High School had a lot of famous people come out of that school, including the actor... um, his name escapes me now. He was, I think he was an officer and gentleman too. Um, it'll come to me later. It'll come to you down the line. Just, just blurt it out any time that we're, I think, we're talking. Willie, you know, I was, I was a fan of Willie Randolph, even though he played for the Yankees, but he, he went to Thomas Jefferson High School in Brooklyn. A lot of good ball plays come out of, came out of Brooklyn. Not as many now. I guess that's the product of not. As many kids playing the game, but you know something that you always remember. You, know, you always pull for the for the gentleman that comes locally. For sure, for sure, and 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 we talked about him yesterday. A, a Brooklyn guest, episode thirty-one. Joe Burke, a Brooklynite. I don't know where he went to high school, but uh, Nassau County Community College and St. John's University. And of, former Yankee farmhand. Former right? Yankee farm farmhand drafted in the year two thousand and five, and. Somerset Patriots. Uh, championships in 08 and 09. Currently living in the state of Indiana. Second, him and his wife, uh, Mary Kate. Uh, child coming in September. So uh, we're all, all connected here on the podcast. Listen, we've, we've been in baseball, both of you, for, for, for a long time. Uh, fill in the blank. Out of many things... Uh, that keep you coming back to the ballpark. The main thing is just the overall excitement of the game, which people find don't find baseball exciting. It's really a thinking man's game, a thinking person's game, I should say. A lot of female fans out there. <laughs> um, just you know, there's a game within the game. It is a game of inches. You know, as you last night. Yeah, we talked about that, yes. So you know, our game last night ended at a play at the plate in which the catcher dropped the ball, but the umpires failed to see it. But we'll, uh, we digress. Yes. We digress. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I like this. 90-foot wars. 
90 foot wars. It's a, a series of 90 foot wars and it's uh, the, the mental portion of it is, is huge. But <clears throat> excuse me. So it, it's that. It's that for you. Just the, the nuances of the game, if you will. Outstanding. Outstanding. So it's the nuances of the game that keep you coming back. Can, Correct. Can, can you remember your first baseball experience? Um, just like I mentioned before, walking through, not even, not even seeing the actual game, just walking through the gates. Um, Shea Stadium was very unique in that it was like, even back in its day, it was sort of, I hate to say this, but it was sort of a dump. You know, Planes going over, yeah. over and all this stuff. Okay. Um, but just walking up the stairs and it felt like I was going to heaven. You know, the trip felt it was that long. Yeah, and just going from the concession stands into the actual seating area and seeing seeing the the field was just overwhelming in a good way. Yeah, it's the enormity of the field. It's yeah. the, the enormity once you once you come out of the breezeway and you see um, just this this the enormity of the outfield the grass is is I'm mean, that as always. I mean, I'm 40 years old. It, it's still that perspective is still uh, awe. It, it really, really strikes you. It's awe-inspiring. It, it takes your breath away for a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Okay. Game. What, which, and where? So, um, I know you, 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 you may listen to a couple episodes down the line here, but this game, Jerry, is I'm going to give you a quote from a book, a person, a movie, and you tell us from where it came. I might ask you, too, to fill in the blank. And this has to do with a lot of your, uh, a lot of what you do as a writer, some of your hobbies, uh, some of your likes throughout life. Question, are you ready? Yes. He certainly is. Okay, so, Jerry, the first one is a quote. Fill it in. There is no growth in the... I don't have a clue. <laughs> Are you sure? And there's a bunch of ways you could fill this in. I mean, you could stump me. There is no growth in the... I can add anything? You can add anything you want. There is no growth in the negative. There is no growth in the negative because all you do is sink. All you do is sink. I, I had thought of this. There is no growth in the comfort zone. Because you wrote to me yesterday that said uh, some people that were your inspirations because they constantly tried to get you out of your comfort zone. My question to you is, who are these people that try to get you out of the comfort zone that are in your life, and how do they try to do this? Um, I would say family, mom, my mom, my dad, you know, pushing you to do something you usually don't do. It's very easy just to fall into a comfort zone and be happy with what you have, but you, you need to strive for something bigger and better. I think every day. Can you give us an example? Maybe that's something mom said or dad said or even your, your girlfriend as well. My, fir- my first book, um, I wasn't really as an experienced writer as I am now. And to do it, I was over my head, and I really didn't realize it. And I believe sometimes it's better not to realize something like that because you think of that, you think all that you think of the limitations. 
and you know you don't think of the the goal sometimes we think we think how far we have to go instead of how far we have gone so I really blindly went into it I wanted to do it and I really didn't think about all the work it took to, to complete it which was a lot of work a lot of interviews a lot of time rewriting and then you become you become almost like a perfectionist a fanatic each and every word is like is like it's tough to, to complete a thought and everything because you want everything to be perfect and you know being you know being new, like a new author was it was difficult I had to let that go and just Allow to the words to flow and then worry about it at the end. That was the most important thing I, lesson I learned. And to do it, you know, it's something I never did before. And then, you know, a lot of people, family members pushed me to do it. Some people, I know they probably didn't think, you know, you, you never did anything like this before. You probably can't do it. So that was, that was the driving force to, to finish it. Yeah. 95% of the world is going to tell you that, 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 that you can't do it. But like you said, like how you filled in that quote, there's no growth in the negative. So you get away from those negative people and you surround yourself smartly like you have with, with, with friends and family that believe in you. What's the name of that first book, Jerry? Running Through Roblox. Uh, 20 inspirational stories of, of courageous athletic warriors. Wow. Could you, uh, you know, of those 20 stories, do, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here, do you have a favorite? Uh, Jim Eisenreich, 15-year major leaguer, former 15, um, his story is great, overcoming Tourette's syndrome when no one really knew much about it, and how he struggled from being a, you know, a promising baseball player, climbing the ranks, because I think he jumped from I want to say single A or double A to the major leagues and how he battled when he got there because his symptoms were beyond control and how he took himself out of baseball. I think he was gone for like two or three years and then he went back and, and he finished his career. Ultimately, he won a championship with the Florida Marlins. But his life was so up and down. It's very inspiring that he really never gave up on himself. For sure. And do you have a relationship with him today at all? Not, not really, no. No, but I, you know, I keep an eye on, he has a nice, he has a Tourette's Syndrome Foundation and does a lot of work to, you know, support people and, you know, and a kid that was, kids like him growing up who struggle, you know, it has various degrees various degrees of difficulty but you know they struggle because it's, it's it's a condition that that's really to the outside person they don't know why people are exhibiting those symptoms so and he does a lot of work to for these kids to find something they're good at to make them to boost their self-confidence what's a life lesson we can learn from Jim Isadrike's story um try not to always focus what other people are thinking about you and to work on yourself to overcome your own um, difficulties and challenges in life. Outstanding. I mean, I, uh, we, we spoke of this yesterday. I mean, I knew a little bit about his story when you, when you brought him up. And I, I, like I told you, I can recall looking at his baseball card as a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid and seeing 1984 and then 1987. And then I thought, wow, you know, he's been through something. And I, I knew it at that point in my life. I didn't know what it was until later, 
and then uh, we, we talked about him. That SOB could hit. He could, yes. he could. He could. He could really hit. Jerry, that was a tough one. I'm, we're going to go. We're going to go uh, uh, push on, on on the first one. Let's go to number two in what, which, and where. And it reads like this. It is a quote that reads, A lot of success in baseball has to do with being intense without being tense. Who said that? Fellow Brooklynite. Joe Torrey? He certainly did. He certainly did. And you have a little bit of a Joe Torrey story to share with us when, when you were 13 years old. I, I met him at a public signing at a bank. And he was a, a player manager for the Mets at the time. And just getting his autograph on a ball was like larger than life. Who, you didn't re- I didn't realize that, you know, years later, probably 13 years later, he would take the Yankees to, to the first championship in a while. So it was, it was great to meet him. And that, that stood with me for a long, long time, even to this day. Just being like, wow, this, he's a, you know, He's a manager. He's a professional baseball player. And even then, I knew that he can really hit. People don't... Re- a lot of people don't really... Re- they, now they remember him more for his, his managerial career, but he was a great hitter with with the Cardinals. Um, he was, I guess he was decent with the Mets, but he, he did most of his... Atlanta a little bit. Yeah, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I think an MVP in 1970-71, he would always joke, I got 200 hits and I couldn't run a lick. I mean, that just shows you that the, 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 the man the man could hit. I had an opportunity, you know, way, way back. I met him briefly when I threw out a ceremonial first pitch years ago in 97. And then a few weeks ago, he he's, he's a friend of our owner with Somerset, Steve Califer. Um, and he came into the clubhouse after BP one day about a month ago and uh, briefly addressed the team. So um, good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, give us three words that you think of when uh, describing Joe Torrey. Perseverance. He had a lot of challenges in his life that were hard to deal with as a kid, but didn't stop him from reaching the major leagues, and then becoming a great manager. And now he's a baseball executive, correct? Yes, yes. From a special voice for Major League Baseball, we talked about how we knew his story about he had an abusive father, but but he was really tight with his siblings and. Um, his dislike for loud noises um, because of all the yelling in the house and him growing up. So he's certainly a, a, a story of perseverance. Okay, so we reflected on your um, little bit of your personal life, baseball. I mean, you're a 1980s rocker, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go um, I'm gonna go there with this. It's a quote from an 80s rock band. It goes like this. It's a, it's a lyric. No love, I need protection. Feels like I'm on a production line. This is a 1980s group? This is a 1980s band. We didn't discuss them yesterday. We talked about rap. We talked about um, uh, Dokken, uh, Guns N' Roses. This is none of them, but I want to see how, how deep uh, how, uh, how, how deep your, your love for uh, 1980s hit hair me, bands. Hit me that with that again? Sure. No love, I need protection. Feels like I'm on a production line. I'll take a guess and say Poison. That's a great guess. A band, uh, to me, a lot like Poison. You want one more guess? Uh, think, of, think of the ocean. Think of a, um, um, uh, uh, one of the biggest predators in the ocean. Great White? 
Great White. Do you know the song? Um, You've had a long night. You don't want to... I, I'm, I draw the blank. Face the day. Ah, from the from from face the day. There was a line about invisible jaundice in there that I looked up the lyrics yesterday. I could not find the line in the song about invisible invisible jaundice. So I went went with that one. So yeah, I mean, you grew up playing the drums, and you were telling me yesterday that that you you wanted to play them, but you know it's eight p.m. in Brooklyn. You, you can't do that. You can't do that. And make all that noise. So. So, I mean, do you still have a drum kit? Do you still dabble? Um, yes, I do still have a drum kit, and I have dabbled time to time, but not presently. Um, I would love to bring my drums at the Chatham, but I think they would... Well, let's go! <laughs> they would establish some sort of ordinance to kick me out. Probably would. If you're playing in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, okay, but but you know, weekends at night, it probably would be, would be frowned upon, but... Um, and that was cool how we sort of connected there. We're going to start to, to, to wrap this up, Jerry. This, is, this has been, been great. Um, we know all heroes don't wear a cape. But if you had an opportunity to take a hour car ride with one of the three, these three following people, who would it be and why? You ready? Yes. Shirley Povich, Joe Torrey, or Stephen Adler? Steven Adler's a drummer? For, uh, he's a drummer for, for Guns N' Roses. Let's switch that and go John Bonham. Um, I have to say Joe Torre. Joe Torre. And, and tell us why and what would be your first question to him? Wow. Um, you know, I just, I, I would say he's known for being having this quiet confidence about him. He doesn't seem like he ever raised his voice when he was managing. I would say, how do you do it? How do you keep it all together and get you guys to play the way they play without, you know, blowing a gasket? Mm. And plus, I mean, I would think that it's because of the upbringing, because he doesn't want to be that way like his dad. I'm sure his dad had some good qualities, but that way like his dad. And I heard David Justice say this, and I swear he was taking it right out of Joe Torrey's mouth when he played for the Yankees back in the early 2000s. He said, when you're relaxed, you're confident. When you're confident, you're better. I'm, I'm thinking that came out of Joe Torrey's mouth. I'm, I'm thinking. And it certainly does did help that um, he's a... Uh, this Tory is a New York City kid. I think that helped, but he has to this day um, great, great people skills and just understand what it takes um, to bring people together. One of the things he said to us in, in the clubhouse was, "Listen, as a team, you don't have to like each other, but you have to respect each other." And that was one of the last things he said before he left. And then he said, walking out, he looked at one of his rings and he said, "It took me." 50 years to get one of them and then they started coming one after the other and he was a grateful man as he as he left um, the, the, the clubhouse Jerry you 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 have a blog you have an uh, you're an author plug some of your stuff um, the blog I've been been working on for four years is called brooklynsportsworld.com and I cover uh, sports and health on it, mainly sports, but I do I do have a background in health and fitness. And I have another blog that's 
six months old, and that's called uh, NYNJEntertainmenteats.com, and it covers food and my my other love, music, and anything uh, entertainment-related. Gotcha, gotcha. And they're labors of love. They are labors of love, as you can tell in his voice. You are a, a type 1 diabetic. Yes, I am. Um, would you Could you empty your pockets figuratively and give some advice for, for those who may be struggling with something and think they've hit rock bottom? Um, it's never as bad as you think it is. We always focus on how bad it is. And then I don't know where I've heard the, co- the, the quote, but they say most of the things that you think are detrimental or the world's going to end, they never come to fruition. You know, we worry about a lot of things that never really happen. Mm-hmm. So try not to focus on what might happen and push to, to focus on what will happen. Yeah. Obstacle is the way, Matt Holiday. Situations are exactly as bad as we think they are. As we think they are. Jerry, this has been an absolute blast. One last question. Who would you like to hear on an upcoming podcast? Um, that's a, that's a loaded one. There's so many people. Who can we bring in this living room here in Chatham, New Jersey, and, and, and have a little, little chat with? A 40-minute chat. How about the president? How about Mr. Donald Trump? Listen, he, he's, he, he's not far. He's in Bedminster, New Jersey. I mean, he's, uh, he's friends with um, the owner of the team that I work for. Um, it's, it's certainly within, within reach. Two or three people, two or three degrees of separation, if you will. And I actually got to meet him one time. You did? Well, I was next to him, I should say, at a charity event. And uh, he's a really tall guy, which struck, I really never realized until that, until that moment. Did not know that he was, he was, he was, he was all that tall, but you know, he's tall in stature. I, did, um, I did, not, did not know that he was tall in stature. Jerry, this has been an absolute blast from, from your personal stories to music to baseball. Um, and, and please, people, if you would, go ahead and take a look at his, his blog and a lot of his literature. It's, it's, I know we say it a lot in the podcast, it is very inspiring, but in a lot of different um, aspects in life. Jerry, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Fox. This will wrap up episode 45 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. Jerry and I will talk at you all later. Take good care. You have been listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Buyer. Because impact on each other is the greatest currency you could ever have.